You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, Patrick, Caitlin, it is Friday, January 15th, a rare Friday edition of the Beltway Briefing. And um, a rare Friday for that matter, between last Wednesday and next Wednesday. A, a rare Friday, a rare Friday between a second presidential impeachment right. and the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr. This is these are some seriously strange times, Mark. They are some seriously strange times, but you can now count on one hand. I know we're on uh, the audio, but I'm holding up five fingers for uh, the screen. You can count on one hand the number of days until Donald Trump is no longer president. And that is a hugely consequential pivot for the country. Little unclear exactly what comes next, but five days until one of the most consequential inaugurations, one of the most consequential inauguration addresses ever, and the first virtual inaugural parade. So a lot of firsts coming up in five. Yeah, the whole day is going to be weird. You know, I don't, does it matter that Trump is no longer president as far as all the fervor surrounding him, all of the, you know, his radicalization of these fringe groups. Does it, does it change Patrick? Do you think when he's no longer actually holding the office? That's the question in my mind. Yeah. I, I, I think about that a lot too. You know, they clearly feel, emboldened, uh, having a leader who they feel shares, uh, their views. And, uh, you wonder if they go a little more silent, um, you know, when he's no longer in office, I do think it's going to be hard to go back uh, a little bit because I think people who, uh, maybe had what are considered to be fringe views have now all sort of been connected to each other, uh, you know, online and, and have been united behind uh, a common leader, it's going to be tough to put that toothpaste back in the tube. Um, but I, I do think they're probably not going to be the focal point the way they have been, at least I hope. And, um, you know, Mark mentioned the inaugural coming up. I was just thinking, you know, Joe Biden famously uh, can be very verbose. Uh, as a fellow Irishman, I can I can relate to that. And he talks a lot and, uh, you know, gives long speeches. It would be so nice, I think, for the country if his inaugural had sort of a Lincoln second inaugural feel to it, if it was short, succinct, recognized the gravity of the moment, didn't try to become just a long litany of policy proposals, but just really focused in on the times at hand. I think that would be uh, a really incredible thing for the country. Caitlin, what what are you looking for um, as, as we turn the page here? I'm looking for um, a focus on unity. I think that's going to be, and we know they've come out and said that's going to be a main focus of 
president-elect Biden's speech, but this is a time, Patrick was absolutely right, you know, not a time to go through policy proposals and and talk about, you know, the agenda, but really to focus on healing an incredibly divided nation. We, you know, a nation that's been dealing with a global pandemic for almost a year now, and a nation where small businesses are still struggling and going out of business every day and unemployment rates are high and and there's so much anger. So I would I would just love to see him focus on unity, bringing people together and taking a calm and measured tone. So can we actually bring people together? And and look, I, we don't need to have a kumbaya everybody stand in a circle and hold hands moment, but for, in terms of tone, like are are people are we as divided as people say we are? I you know I I'm, I I have different answers to that question depending upon we, what we time of day you ask me. You live we in are, the Beltway, Howard. True. We are as divided as we think we are at the extremes. The extremes right. on each side are hopelessly divided. Cannot talk to one another. I don't believe there's a moral equivalency between the left and the right, but we can quarrel about that some other time. They are both too far out to reach. However, the great majority of the country is still in the middle. Yeah. And Biden's challenge is to create a center for the country that holds enough Democrats and attracts enough Republicans that we can start fixing. But Jed, we're in approximately 150 members of Congress vote against the results of the Electoral College. I mean, it's not just, I agree with you, Mark. Like people aren't as far apart. The vast majority of people are normal. They're not the people that stormed the Capitol. They're normal thinking. Maybe they shared their values are slightly different, but they're not nuts. Um, no, but, but I, I think the outrageous number of votes against the Electoral College in the House is a function of a, a lot of things, one of which, though, is gerrymandering. Those districts are drawn for those people, and it, they don't necessarily reflect how many Americans are are with them. All the polling suggests otherwise. The polling yeah. does not suggest that there are that percentage of Americans who think that what happened last Wednesday was right. All the political incentives are focused on divisiveness, winning primaries, getting press attention, getting social media likes. Uh, we don't exactly big have raise, raising money, raising money. We don't have uh, we don't exactly have radical moderates or radical pragmatics. It's just not sort of how those of us in the middle operate. Um, but to Howard, your your question on our divisiveness is you know, we talk about the general public. As we were sort of starting to live the pandemic, my hope was that all of us sharing this terrible common experience would be uniting in the way that uh, previous things have been, you know, whether it's 9-11 or World War II or the Great Depression. You know, one of my favorite books on my 
Mantle is the Greatest Generation by by Tom Brokaw. And it makes me think of my grandfather when I go back and read it. But you read of about men of that time. They they lived through the Great Depression. They served together in World War II. They came back, built the modern economy. And yeah. Republicans and Democrats lived in the same neighborhoods and they joined civic organizations like Knights of Columbus and the Elks. And they were connected by more uh, than politics. The problem now uh, in this century, in this generation, is we have just moved into echo chambers, literally, physically. We live around people who are like us, who think like us, who, and, and it, it, these divisions have become so, so clear and defined. And I think that that's part of the problem and why we can't seem to move past a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But we're also, I, I don't know, something bigger's going on because for four years, Trump has been literally since his inaugural address, since before his inaugural address, trafficking and his own fake news. And every, all those yeah, all his what? primary opponents called him on it. He got elected. He got sworn in, and they all fell in line. And and look, I think it's both sides of the aisle. Um, the the left and the right don't reflect the views of the vast majority and numbers of people in their respective parties. So, what does that mean for the future of the parties? Well, one thing you have to remember is that we are where we are in part, in part, because of two institutions that were created uh, 250 years ago in a different world for a different purpose, the Senate and the Electoral College. They are both out of sync and out of step with the majority of Americans, and we aren't going to change either of those anytime soon. But when you look at what the last four years were, it it is really the, the nature of the Electoral College and the nature of the Senate that contributed significantly to the what I call the tyranny of the minority. A minority of Americans terrorized and tyrannized the majority through the Electoral College and the Senate. And, and at least now we are aligned. The popular vote and the Electoral College are back in alignment. The Senate and the popular vote are back in semi-alignment. And we'll see. We'll see if we can move forward from here. But Patrick, I think what you had to say was very was very eloquent and and very right. But you cannot ignore the element of leadership. There was leadership in 1932. There was leadership in 1940 and and World War II. There has been an abject failure of leadership in this pandemic. And that has caused death and suffering and economic collapse. And we are going to find out, I think we got a fighting shot at it, whether Joe Biden can be a leader for these times. By the way, Mark, not just up up at the federal level, but also in the states and on both sides of the aisle. 
hundred percent. I'm not going to let you get away this time, Howard, with the both sidesism. But yes, yes, at the federal level, at the state level, and and no, locally, I'm, I, I'm just saying that it's not both sidesism. It's facts. The states, everybody has screwed this up, and the and Trump, it is. The magnitude of the failure at the top is, 100%. is incomparable to any other failure anywhere down there. 100%, but it's stunning to me. I mean, we've known forever and a day that these vaccines were coming. Mm-hmm. And it's stunning how Fair ill-prepared the states have been to roll them out. I mean, it's, it's, and it's not one state. It's pretty much every state. It's, it's, it's that fair comment on the vaccine. Yeah, but yeah, also, but isn't state. it, Mark, isn't it connected to your point? The st- because of the, of the well, absence of leadership from the federal government, states have been forced to manage this pandemic yeah. in a way they didn't expect. Right. And Look, yeah. You're not going to get any argument from me on the lack of leadership at the top. It's, it's, it's been horrendous. And Frankly, it's 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 hard, but it's not that hard. And and look, he, I mean, it was a joke, and it's been a joke. And yeah, Biden has a tough task ahead of him. Hopefully, he can come in and and make some real change, Caitlin. I mean, it's 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 hard. Um, the tone is going to be more measured and more thoughtful, and um, he'll be smarter about it. I think that's that's my view. Yeah, to to your original question too about uh, where do the parties go from here? I mean, it, it is just getting harder and harder to deviate from party orthodoxy, and you saw it, uh, you know, on the Republican side with what Vice President Pence did, uh, which w- what he was legally obligated to do. You saw it with Liz Cheney uh, and her statement of voting against. It used to be, to a certain extent, that an act of political independence uh, would be viewed sometimes and oftentimes as an act of statesmanship. It is now always an act of betrayal. Uh, it, it, that That is the way that the basis of the parties view uh, those kind of decisions. And it's no different on the Democratic side. You, you have moderate members who will take principled stands. You'll have progressive members that'll take principled stands, but if it is not in line with the party, it you you are a traitor uh, to the cause. You have betrayed your party. And that that is just well, is this the end of it's hard to betray the Democratic Party because we don't agree on anything. To that I don't know which orthodoxy is which. Is this the end Caitlin, of the two-party system as we know it. Is this? I, I think it might be. And, and here's here's why. I think particularly within the Republican Party, you've got the traditional constitutional conservative, small government, fiscal responsibility party of Reagan and others um, that, that is the base and the core of the Republican Party. And then on the other hand, you have the Trump Republican Party. So I think that in and of itself is going to be a schism and something that we as the Republican Party is going to continue needing to address. And I think that by the nature, maybe we'll see something similar in the Democratic Party, but I think Trump has really forced the Republican Party to have a moment of reckoning on this. 
I would just say as the uh, senior uh, statesman in, in this group, I have lived through a half dozen permanent, irrevocable, irreversible, final realignments of the party. In 1972, the Democratic Party was dead and buried. In 1984, the Democratic Party was dead and buried. In 2012, the Republican Party was dead and buried. Yeah, but you didn't have 6,000 people storming the United States Capitol. Caitlin is absolutely right that this might be. Parties come and go. Countries come and go. Empires come and go. The Republican Party didn't exist for the first hundred years of the country. And the Democratic Party was something altogether different. There there will come a time. I'm just suggesting that that it may be premature to to conclude that this is the time. Yeah, I would I would add too. I think, you know, we're talking about the leadership change that's about to happen in Washington. And already, and this happened. In 2016, when the Republicans won, it's happening right now that that you have universal democratic control. It is this short-term tactical thinking that always seems to win out. So what can the Democrats get through and, and jam through the Republicans out of power for a week? How are we going to get back in power? How are we going to obstruct the Democrats? My my old longtime boss, Mark and, and Howard, your friend, Senator Bai, he would always talk about the short-term tactical play. And in a New York Times op-ed, he wrote, the minority seeks to frustrate the majority. And when the majority is displaced, it returns to favor. Power is constantly sought through the use of means which render its effective use once acquired impossible. And, And that is just to me exactly right, which is, it's just this cycle of recrimination and we've got to get past that. So with all that as a backdrop, what are the first 100 days look like? Everybody talks about about the the first 100 days, which, by the way, was a was an FDR creation. Um, and you know what are his first 100 days look like? But he he had a mandate. He had a, an enormously lopsided government. And even Barack Obama in um, 2012, I mean, 2008, had he had um, an enormously significant majority in the Senate. Biden doesn't have that. So um, so what's he going to do, Mark? 100 million vaccinations in 100 days. I don't know that he'll hit that number, but that is his highest uh, priority. And he's already, you know, I, I am already thinking of him as the president. He's giving speeches to the country about his programs. He's making announcements about what he's doing, but he is going to use the Defense Production Act to ramp up vaccine manufacturing. And he's gonna do, I think, a damn good job of getting the vaccine out in a way that it already should have been. He's going to pass a stimulus bill if he has to reconcile it with 50 Democrats and the vice president, he will. And with a little luck in a hundred days, the pandemic is going to be under better control and the economy is going to be on a course for, for improvement 
The wrench, the monkey wrench that has been thrown in is that we have this impeachment thing again and and how he's going to how he's going to walk and chew gum with that is going to be interesting. It's more how Congress is going to do it. Um, yeah. And I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to put his nominees forward. He's going to um, I think he's going to try to get us back to to normalcy, normalcy in terms of COVID normalcy in terms of governing norms. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, go big or go home on, on the stimulus. That was the message. Yeah. That was the message yesterday. And just while we're on that, I mean, we've all been pummeled for the last 48 hours with questions for 24 hours, questions from clients about why this isn't in there or that isn't in there because it's not a bill yet. And I mean, it could grow larger in size and it's a Christmas tree on which a lot of ornaments can be hung and they're going to be. And just because you're not in the Biden framework plan doesn't mean you're not going to be in the final bill. We'll certainly be doing a lot of work on that in the coming weeks. Alex Campo and I are going to add a hundred billion to it on those advanced Medicare payments. So okay, good. Start there, <laughs> Patrick. But what are you, what are you thinking about on the first first one hundred days? So it sure feels like they're going to pursue a stimulus package using reconciliation, uh, which I think they feel they need to do in order to get what they want done. I mean, I, I'm thinking a little bit back to 08. You know, the stimulus debate was controversial. They only got three Republicans, but it wasn't really till we got into the ACA debate that it felt like the whole thing kind of snapped and you had the Tea Party revolt that summer. I I suspect what you're going to see from the Biden administration is sort of a little bit in the the vein of some past presidents, which is saying one thing and kind of doing something else a little bit legislatively. So I think his tone and his speeches will all be very focused on reconciliation, bringing the country together. I still think his administration is going to work with Congress to pass as much of their agenda as they think they can without losing political support uh, and kind of driving the country crazy. But I think there's going to be a mix of that. So hopefully next year, uh, as you're getting into an election year, they can say, we managed this country out of the pandemic. We got relief to Americans. We've calmed things down. The tone has been uh, leveled a little bit, and we're in a better place uh, than we were before we got in. That's that's kind of what oh, I think it's going to be. Yeah, Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin, can can I just ask Caitlin, please? In the next hundred days, Uh-oh. are there are there seventeen Republican votes to convict the president? I don't think there's 17 now. I think there's seven. Actually, is kind of the number I've settled around. Um, we saw some reporting this week about whether or not Leader McConnell would be considering um, voting and and whether, you know, if he did make that move, that could open up um, a lane for several senators who likely wouldn't but might follow his lead. I think we'll see, um, you know, Senator Sass, uh, Romney, Collins, Murkowski, um, Toomey, and and others. But no, I do not think we will get 17 on impeachment. Depends what's going on in the world when they send it over. What more has come out? Well, right. What, 
what 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 do we not know yet that we're gonna know um you know this thing has all sorts of directions it can take we don't really know what happened yet we only know part of the story um and and what comes out and i i think can change yeah everything it it, it's my view on that exact point, Howard, that uh, McConnell didn't do Trump a favor, not that he was even trying to, by not getting this vote done next week, because by the time the trial occurs, I think it's very likely that we are going to have learned a lot more about the organization and premeditation of this. And as you're saying, that that could move votes. Well, one of the interesting dimensions here is that at noon on Thursday, the Democrats get whatever there is on the servers in the White House and the Department of Defense and elsewhere. And and you can be sure that there's going to be evidence that we're unaware of now that, that could materially move. The, the, the That's a very valid. That's a valid. We might point. see smoke coming out of the OELB, though. Un- unless it's all been destroyed. That's what I said. We see smoke <laughs> coming out of the old executive office building. Maybe not. And and by the way, it can move in either direction because you know, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. It may be Trump disappears, goes and hangs out down there in Palm Beach. He's no longer in office. And the R's, he's like out of the public consciousness and the R's, I mean, yes, there's the risk of him running again, but the the R's are like, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about Trump anymore. Like, we're just not going to go down this path. The funny, the the funny part of it is uh, Caitlin listed, I think very intelligently, the likely no votes at this time. But you just know that Marco Rubio and a number of other (laughs) candidates for 2024 would love not to have to vote to convict, but would love it to happen anyhow. (laughs) And for Trump to be banned. So let me tell you, having spent, uh, as I've said to, to you all several times, having spent a month outside of the Beltway down here in Florida, I actually think for Rubio, a vote to convict will harm his chances of winning the state of Florida, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah and but he people, wouldn't mourn over the oh, absolutely. right, right. <laughs> I mean, look, at the end of the day, people need to decide whether they're going to put country above themselves or themselves above country. And that's what this is about. It's what it's been about and i mean it's that's that's what's that's that's what this vote is about yeah well you're howard your second case of it kind of going the other way that's that's been what i've kind of wondered you know they they always the the thing with him is just if he could just keep his mouth shut and kind of go off quietly you know it could start to look a little petty if they don't get the timing right or if they let it go on too long. The problem is right. he just isn't doing that. He can't do it. And he's still going to be holding press conferences and they're not going to be getting covered the same way, but he can't control himself <clears throat> from trying to get his perspective out in it. And it hurts him because everyone saw what happened. 
Well, by the way, a lot is going to happen between now and next Wednesday. Um, most especially pardons. Yeah. When's the pardon floodgate going to open? And what's well, that going to look like? I, Who's he going to pardon? I want to hear everyone's take well, on that. Well, um, I am always uh, the amateur historian here, but Andrew Johnson pardoned the Confederacy, the entire Confederacy. Anybody who bore arms against the United States was pardoned by the President of the United States. That I'm hoping we don't see Trump's version of that. The, Pardon uh, the MAGA community. The 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 QAnon well, shaman with yeah. the bison hat was on. His lawyer was on Andrew Cuomo last night, asking for a presidential pardon for his client. Wow. So, um, asking for a presidential pardon and declaring that he only went to the Capitol because the president told him to. Yeah, that was good. That that was true, and I want him as a witness at the trial, right? With with the horns. He's got to wear the thing, though. It's not bison. if he's just yes. in a if he's just in a suit. That's not even no, no with the horns. Wear, yeah, insane. There Absolutely. will be there will be pardons that blow our minds. You, I, I other than the QAnon guy, I don't have anybody in mind. But there will be pardons that blow our minds here. Yeah, and that's going to have an impact. I mean, it's not going to have an impact on the impeachment vote. It's going to have an impact on, on the debate. It may shift the, it may shift the conversation here in the waning days away from impeachment to abuse of power, the constitutionality of, of the pardons. It's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting five days from that perspective. Howard, do you think he pardons himself or tries? I know there's varying. 100%. Yeah. I, 100%. You always got to end with the person that's most important to you. So it would be a fitting, a fitting final part. Right. I mean, why wouldn't he? It doesn't mean that he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And it doesn't, it may or may not hold up. But why would he not make it? easier for himself and harder for the prosecutors. Yeah, I have, what do you I, think? I've withdrawn my prediction that he was going to resign so Pence could pardon him. I think that one fell apart uh, in uh, the siege of the Capitol. I mean, no, there are many people, myself included, thought that that might happen. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to because he's not... He's not that smart. But Caitlin, what are your thoughts on that? Taking the contrarian view on this one, I think he will not pardon himself because it would be in some way an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. Um, so I, 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 I guess we'll find out in a couple of days. <laughs> five days. Five days. days. Three, four, five. Now that's a weekend thing. Surprised we didn't get a late Friday well, afternoon news dump of that today. This is this is the Taylor, last it's only five oh eight. Yeah, and this is the last weekend of the Trump presidency. Yeah, and this there is the last. There are a lot of residents down in Palm Beach that are not <laughs> very happy. This is the last Beltway briefing with Donald Trump as the president. Oh yeah, until twenty twenty four. What are we going to have to talk about now? It's going to be so boring. Well. That 
that is an issue, Patrick. But uh, now there will be plenty to talk about because we had some big things to deal with and we will be here as a group to talk about it and break it down and, and steer our clients through, through the craziness. It's going to be a very busy year for us and for our clients. And, and, and hopefully as a country, we, we come out of this, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's my hope, but we shall see. All right, guys. Well, happy night. Friday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we, we, we will be back when Joe Biden is president. <laughs> You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.